Well, good morning and welcome once again to the Mission Viejo Church of Christ. Today is an exciting day for a lot of different reasons. First of all, we get to honor and celebrate our mothers. And I would be remiss if I didn't say Happy Mother's Day to my mother who is watching online. I love you, Mom. I'll see you soon. And we are just really excited to be wrapping up this series that we've been talking about resurrection and resurrecting hope. And we've been talking about the story of kind of the end of Jesus's life, but we know as Christians that the end of Jesus's life was really just the beginning. It's really where our story begins, even though Christ's life here on earth was coming to an end. And I hope this series has been impactful for you because I feel like hope is something that we should never get tired of talking about because we as Christians have this amazing hope that lies only in our Lord and Savior. And really, at the end of the day, that's what sets us apart from the rest of the world is that hope that we have that this world is not the end, but just like it was for Jesus, it's only the beginning. And that's what I want to talk about this morning is we're going to look at this idea of how at the end of Jesus's life, one of the very last things that he did was he prayed for unity among the believers. So this is what we've been talking about throughout our series, that life's greatest challenges can only be faced when we have the hope of Jesus's power and presence living within us through our faith in him. And we've talked a lot about God's timing, and we've talked a lot about how, how, how God understands the big picture. And last week we talked about how Jesus walks alongside us through our most difficult trials and our most difficult times in our life. And what I want to look at today is kind of what, what happened right at the end of Jesus' life. Because one of the very last things that he did, and unfortunately this kind of gets lost in the shuffle sometimes, is he said a very powerful prayer. And it's one of the last things that's recorded that Jesus said before he, he knew what was about to happen. He knew he was about to go to the cross. So we have to put ourselves in the mind of Christ he knows that this, this, this life here on earth, this ministry here on earth is coming to a close. And there's something profound that happens as we near the end. And, and maybe you've, you've been around a friend or a family member towards the end, but, but they start to think about what are the things that are really most important? What are the things that were the most important things? In your last days, what will you wish for? What will you wish for? When you finally come to that realization, that understanding that, hey, this is it, what are the things that you're going to wish that you had done differently? Lizzie's grandfather is, is coming into his last season of his life. He's 87 years old, and, and his cancer has come back, and it has, it has begun to just spread throughout his body. And, and, and you know, we're trying to, to kind of come to terms and come to grips with the fact that, that these are kind of our last moments, probably with Grandpa. And, and Lizzie's dad, Paul, who many of you know, asked him, you know, well, what, what are the regrets that you have? What are the things that you wish you could have done differently? And, and Lizzie's grandfather lived an amazing life. He had a beautiful home. He had a wonderful family. He traveled the world. He spent a lot of time in Hawaii. He, he did a lot of the things that a lot of people aspire to do. He owned companies. He just did a lot of really cool things in his life. And when Paul asked him, he says, Dad, what would you, what would you have done different? Dad, what, what, what do you wish 
you had done? Do you wish you'd made more money or had more cars or had more houses? And the thing that he said is, I wish I'd have spent more time with the people who are important to me. I wish that I'd spent more time with the people who are important to me. Jesus kind of does this very same thing as we see Jesus getting to the end of his life. He's got kind of one last chance to make an impact. He's kind of got one last chance to pray, not only for his followers, but for his future followers. So what does that mean for you and I? Well, what that means for you and I is as Christ followers, this prayer that was said over 2,000 years ago was for you and for me. See, sometimes we get lost in these Bible stories, right? And we're, we're kind of putting ourselves in this time and place, and, and Jesus is meeting with his, his apostles and his disciples and his followers kind of towards the end. And, of course, he knows what's going to happen. And, and we get kind of wrapped up in the scene, right? So you got to remember, this is after you know, Jesus' last supper. This is after Jesus had washed his disciples' feet, because remember, that was his kind of last act of service. And now he's going to kind of leave them with some profound wisdom. And he's going to do this by the ways of a very, very powerful prayer that is just as applicable for you and I today as it was on this night before Jesus went to the cross. I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 17. So I want you to read this along with me. I want you to hear it, but I also want you to see the words. I want you to feel the words. And I want you to put yourself in this place. Jesus is praying with and for his people, his tribe, if you will. These are the people that have walked alongside of him throughout his ministry. These are the people who had watched him do miracles. These are the people that he ate with. These are the people that he stayed with. These are the people that he walked with. These are the people that he called from their daily lives to be an apostle and to do the work of God. And this is his last prayer. It says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. See, Christ, what Christ is doing here is he's praying for the ministry that he's already done, but he's also praying for the future. He's praying for the future believers. It says that all of them may be one. And here's our idea of unity. That all of them, it doesn't say some of them, it says, all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. So Christ is drawing this example of how him and, and the Father are one is exactly, this is his vision for the believers. If you ever want to know what the vision for the church is, it's right here. It's that we would be one. And we're going to unpack that a little bit more as we go along. As we continue reading, it says, May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Now, now John's letter, when you, when you do a little digging into the, the book of John, and you look at the reason that John wrote this book, because remember, the, the four Gospels are all framed a little bit differently based on the writer. And even though the overarching story is the same, and of course the gospel doesn't change, but the reason that John wrote his book is he's trying to prove that Jesus is who he says he is. And he says right here, he says that the world may believe that you have sent me. 
Jesus is reminding them of the importance of the witness and the message of Jesus Christ. It says, I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. So there we've said it twice now, right? Two times now we've said, hey, I want you to be one. This is the last prayer that Jesus is giving them, and the focus is on unity. He could have said anything he wanted in this prayer, but he chose to focus on the unity of the believers. It says, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. There we have it again. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Unity. We've already heard it three times. Unity. What do I always say? If, it's, if, it's, if it says it three times, it's going to be on the test, right? This is important for us to understand this idea of unity because, see, he's saying that when you are unified, when the body of Christ comes together, wherever we may be, and when we're truly unified, we're reinforcing our belief that Jesus is the Son of the living God. And that's what he's saying in this prayer. He's saying that when you're unified, when you come together, then you're portraying Christ in the light that he should be portrayed in. It says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory and the glory that you've given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. See, Jesus is saying, I want them to be where I am. And Jesus knows where he's going. He, he knows the end of this story. He knows what's about to happen to him. And he knows that he's about to go to the Father. And he's reminding them, I want you to be where I am. M. And this is what he's praying to God, is that he wants these followers, these believers, these people that he loves, to be with him. What a powerful reminder of what Jesus has in mind for us. What Jesus has in store for us. He loves us. He loves us and he wants to be with us. Just like he wanted to be with his apostles. God has wanted to be with us since the very beginning. All the way back in the book of Genesis, he walked with them. He talked with them in the garden. That's the relationship that he wanted to have with us. But we messed it up and separated ourselves from God. But that was never his intention. And Jesus is reiterating that he wants his followers. He wants the people that love him. He wants you and me to be with him. And that's what his last prayer is all about. He says, Righteous Father, it says, Though the world does not know you, again, he's talking about the world in general, it says, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. It says, I've made you known to them, and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and that I myself may be in them. See, Jesus is, is, is continually giving the glory back to God. He's continually giving the glory back to God and, and just humbly praying for this idea of unity and this idea of togetherness. See, the point is that the love of God unites us all. The love of God unites us all. You and I are very different people. We all have our differences. 
But the one thing that we have in common is the most important thing, and that's that we love and want to follow Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about at the end of the day. It's not about our differences. It's not about what divides us. It's not about what separates us. It's about the one thing that every person in this room has in common. And that's what brings us together instead of pulls us apart. See, this idea of unity is different than uniformity. See, Jesus didn't make us all the same. He made us all very different. He gifted us differently. He makes us look different. He gives us a different heart, a different mind. It doesn't mean that we all have to be exactly the same, because we're not. We're very different. We like different things. We have different experiences. I mean, some of you don't even like the Dallas Cowboys. I don't understand it. But the point is, when we're talking about unity, and we're talking about coming together, we're not saying that we have to agree on every little thing, because that's never going to happen. There's, I don't know the count, there's roughly 130 people in this auditorium right now. We don't all like the same things. We don't like the same pizza. We don't like the same ice cream, although I think we can probably all agree on ice cream. But my point is this. We're not called to be exactly the same. God could have made us that way. God could have made us that way, right? He, he could have just programmed us that one track mind, we're all exactly the same. But how boring would that be? And that also took away the whole aspect of relationship with God. He wants us to be united and he wants us to follow him because we want to, not because we have to. See, we're not called to be the same, but we're called to be like-minded, right? Because the one thing that brings us together is Jesus. You know, we, we, we always find things that we can rally around, right? Maybe it's a sports team, you know, when you go to a game, you see all the fans wearing the same color shirt, cheering for the same team. Those people come from very different backgrounds. They come from very different places. They're of all races and genders and ages, but they all come together over the common bond. Why don't we do the same thing over Jesus? He is our common bond. And that puts everything else to the side. The love that he had for us, that he sent his only son to die for you and me, is what gives us this hope that we have. And see, we got to come together based on that hope. I want to share a quote with you. It says, has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? It says they're of one accord, by being tuned, not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. It says, so 100 worshipers meeting together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than you could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. So see, this is exactly what we're talking about. We can be a hundred different pianos, but if we're all tuned to the same tuning fork, then we're all in tune. If we're all tuned to Jesus instead of our own selfish motives, then guess what? We're all going to be together. And we're all going to be harmonious for the most part. 
See, it's this idea of a piano. And I think this is such a perfect, perfect metaphor because for those of you who are more familiar with pianos than me, don't persecute me for this, but I, I think I have this straight. The white keys are tuned to one note and the black keys are tuned to another note, but when played together, they make beautiful music. When played together, they make beautiful music. See, we're called to be a piano. We're called to make beautiful music together because we're all tuned to the same thing. And that same thing is Jesus Christ. See, we have to fight for unity. There are plenty of things out there that are ready, willing, and able to divide us. You need look no further than the pandemic. If you were in the adult Bible class this morning, Bruce did a great job of, of introducing this idea of division. Because the adult Bible class is going to be uh, walking through, I don't know how many weeks, lesson series on this idea of division. So if you were there this morning, then you already kind of have a precursor to what we're talking about today. And he introduced this idea of division in the many different ways that we become divided. Whether it's over political lines, socioeconomic lines, social media lines, pandemic. There are lots of different ways that we are divided. But the one thing that unites us. See, that's what we lose our focus on. Because, see, we're willing to plant our flag, we're willing to die on the hill for our political parties or for our personal agendas, but are we willing to fight just as hard to be united as we are to be divided? During this last election, I don't, I don't like to talk politics, but during this last election, I've never seen so much hate being thrown around between believers in two different political parties. I even heard people saying things like, well, if you are not a Republican, you can't be a Christian. And the same other people saying, well, if you don't vote Democratic, then you're not a Christian. And all of the hate. If you back this political party, you're a terrible person. If you back this political party, you're a terrible person. It's a no-win situation. But my point is this. We fight so hard for what divides us. Are we willing to fight just as hard for what unifies us? Somebody asked me a question the other day, and, and it's not an easy question to answer. But, but as you know, there, there's a lot, of, a lot of things going on in our world that go very counter to what the Bible teaches. And, and there's a lot of groups out there that are promoting agendas. And, and somebody asked me the question and said, hey, why are these other groups that are going against what the Bible teaches, why are they winning in society? Why are they able to teach that there's 12 different genders? That goes against what God teaches us. And I'll tell you, the reason is, is because they're willing to fight for their agenda. They're willing to show up in force, and they're willing to protest, and they're willing to walk out of their jobs to promote their agenda. Are we willing to do the same thing? Are we rallying together based on the things that unite us to fight those fights? Or are we too busy arguing? Let's just be honest. We argue about a lot of things as Christians. 
and I'm not talking about salvation issues because we should be arguing about salvation issues, but we argue about lots of different things, right? We don't like the color of the carpet in the auditorium. We don't like the song list. You don't like my haircut. That's okay. Yes, I actually had somebody tell me that. But my point is this. Are we a family that comes together in love and is united? Or are we too busy being divided by little things? Because who's, divi- who's behind all that division? Satan, yes, thank you. That's exactly what he wants us to do as a church, is he wants us to be divided. He wants to draw a big line right down the middle and have this side be on one side and this side be on the other, because that's exactly what he wants. Because if we're too busy fighting amongst ourselves, right, over things like the color of the carpet or the color of the walls or my haircut, then what are we not doing? We're not doing the work that Jesus would have us to do because we're too busy fighting about all this silly stuff. And again, I'm not saying we have to agree on everything because we're never going to do that. We're humans. We have free will. We're not always going to agree on things. But at the end of the day, we need to be like the big brother, right? Any big brothers, big sisters in the audience today? Big brothers, big sisters, right? You know how this works, right? It's okay for you to pick on little brother, little sister, right? But what happens if somebody else does? No, 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 no. That's not how this works. And see, that's exactly what it needs to be like for us. Nobody gets to pick on our brothers and our sisters in Christ because we should be standing up for one another based on the thing that unifies us, not based on the things that tear us apart. Let's switch gears and jump into Ephesians. It's Ephesians chapter 4. And let's see what Paul has to say on the matter, because Paul knows a little something about fighting adversity. Paul knows a little something about division. Paul knows a little something about what it takes to follow Jesus no matter what. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. It says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. See, Paul's talking about how we as a church family who love each other, and yes, we should love each other, how should we be acting towards one another so that we can achieve this idea of unity? Because we can sit here and talk about unity all we want, and you're all going to say, yeah, we should definitely be unified. But if we don't talk about how we get there, then it doesn't do us any good. It says, be completely humble and gentle. Humble, gentle, patient, and bearing with one another in love. You know, today's Mother's Day, right? And I think this is an important verse because I think this describes a lot of our mothers. We have mothers that are humble and gentle and patient. And Lord knows they bear with us, right? Because we do some silly things, right? We don't call them as much as we should. We forget to send the flowers on Mother's Day. We don't always make the time for our mothers like we should. But that's how we need to treat one another. Humility, just like Christ was, was humble. And gentleness, patience, and goodness knows we got to bear with one another. 
Verse 3 says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. See, the Spirit will work within us if we'll just be open to it. He'll work within us to unify us. Verse 4 says, there's one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Unity in a nutshell. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. We're all on the same team. Newsflash, we're all on the same team. We're all working together. We're all working for the same goal, right? And that's to tell people about Jesus, to spread the good news of Jesus. One faith, one baptism, one Lord, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Kind of wraps it up, doesn't it? See, we're unified by our love for God. And he is of all, over all, through all, and in all. See, we've got to get out of this us versus them mentality. It's always an us versus them mentality. And we, we saw this in a big way during the pandemic, right? You had your maskers and your non-maskers, right? And man, I saw some of the ugliest fights I've ever seen over whether or not someone wanted to wear a mask. And I'm not saying you should or you shouldn't. That's not my point. But my point is this. To see brothers and sisters in Christ arguing and being divided over something is what kills me. We talked last week about the emotions of Jesus and how Jesus wept when his friend was dying. Or in this case, his friend had already passed. How do you think Jesus feels when he sees you and I arguing about silly stuff? I've seen people leave churches over the silliest of things. Churches. Walk away from the church over a silly argument. And again, I'm not talking about salvation issues. We should be talking about that. And we should be debating that. And we should be arguing about that. But I'm talking about the things that don't really matter at the end of the day. The things that don't really matter. It's not us versus them. We're all on the same team. See, we can do more together than we could ever do apart. Think about Jesus and think about the life of Jesus. When Jesus came to earth, what did he do when he started his ministry? He assembled a team. Why did he do that? This is Jesus. He could have done whatever he wanted. You're telling me Jesus couldn't have accomplished the goals of God on his own? Probably could have. He was a pretty amazing dude, right? But he didn't do it alone. See, he assembled a team together. He assembled a team together. Because we can do much more together than we can ever do apart. And see, that's one of the the most important reasons that we meet together. We we need to be together. We were designed to be together. The early church spent 24-7 together, and I'm not recommending we do that. You talk about some division. But what I'm saying is his design for the church was that they did everything together. They shared meals together. They lived together. They pooled their resources. 
right? They brought their crops together. They brought their money together for the good of the whole. They put aside the things that divided them and joined together over the things that united them. Because, see, we can sit here and talk all we want, and we can quote scriptures, and we can talk about how we're this great, powerful, amazing Christian. But if our actions don't back that up, then what are we really doing? What are we doing? If our actions don't speak louder than our words, if someone can't tell based on your actions that you're a Christian, then, then we may be doing something wrong. We may have missed the boat. Because we can talk all we want about unity, and we can talk all we want about how we're Christ followers, but our actions have to back that up. And when we put our differences aside... And when we let things go, and when we don't make a point or make an argument over everything, then we can truly be together as a Christian family. And I love this family. I do. I love each and every one of you. We may not always see eye to eye on things. We may not always agree on things. But I love each and every one of you. I give you this shirt off my back. But is that how we view our church family? I hope that it is. And I hope that you feel that when you walk in these doors. I hope that you can't wait to get here on Sunday mornings so that we can all be together. I hope that that's the case. You know, when I was a kid, you know, the old Church of Christ saying, right, when the doors are open, we went to, we went to church Sunday morning, and we went to church Sunday night, and we went to church Wednesday night. And we couldn't wait to be Together. Because together, we can accomplish so much more than we can ever accomplish apart. I want to share one last scripture with you. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16. It says, From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. It's the metaphor of the human body and how the human body works together. We can do amazing things, church, if we'll just work together. If we'll just understand, if we'll just embrace the hope that we have in Jesus, we can do some amazing things. And that's what this whole point of this series is about resurrection Hope, the fact that Jesus was who he said he was and that he went to the cross, that he died for you and me and that he rose on the third day is what gives you and me hope for the future. Because I don't know about you, but if this world was all we had to look forward to, that'd be pretty depressing. All the trials and all the turmoils and all the stresses and all the broken relationships. What if that was it? What if that was it? be a pretty sad day, wouldn't it? We have hope. We have hope that one day we're going to go to this amazing place, this almost indescribable place called heaven. And there'll be no more tears, and there'll be no more sorrows, and there'll be no more heartaches, and there'll be no more broken relationships. But it'll be an eternity in the most amazing place that you can even imagine. I don't know what heaven's going to look like. I really don't. I don't know if the streets are really going to be gold. I don't know if I'm really going to get a mansion. It doesn't matter. Because guess what? We're not going to care when we get there. But it's going to be an amazing place 
where you and I have nothing to do but worship God for eternity. And I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty good to me. I want you to feel when you leave here today that you can truly love others because of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Love each other. Love each other. Show each other that you love each other through your actions. I want you to think about the fact that Jesus' love is for all people and is the unifying truth behind his sacrificial work on the cross. Remember that Jesus' love was for all people. You and me and the person sitting next to you and your annoying neighbor that plays really loud music till 2 o'clock in the morning, it's for them too. Because, see, we, we tend to, to write people off, right? We tend, to, we tend to put people in a box and say, well, that person's just not a good person. Well, that person didn't do this. Well, that person doesn't, doesn't deserve my forgiveness. But they do. Because we have to see them the way that God sees them. I want you to consider the people in your life that maybe you've written off because of division. And I want you to pray for them. And invite Jesus to place the love of them in your heart. It's, it's not easy. It's not, this, this, this life is not easy. Relationships are not easy. And sometimes we walk away from relationships over division. And I want you to pray this morning that you'll let those things go and that you'll remember that Jesus unites us. Focus on what unites us, not divides us, and experience that hope that comes only from the good news of Jesus Christ. Maybe you've never had a chance to be baptized. You've never had a chance to realize the hope of Jesus. You have an opportunity to do that in just a moment. I'm going to ask Brandon to come up and lead us in a song, and I'm going to ask our elders to come forward. And, and, and maybe you just have lost hope. And maybe you're looking for that here this morning. If we can talk with you, if we can pray with you, if you don't want to come down front, that's okay. Meet us in the back after services. We'd love to talk with you. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to help you in any way that we can as we stand together and as we sing. Come to me, all ye who are weary, and I will give you rest. Come to me, weary and I will give you rest into your arms I fall responding to your call I surrender all Lord I come weary and I will give